Good morning and welcome to the Video Game Open Coffee Club Recap. Um, soon to have new name, Podcast and Community Recap. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I uh, This is a podcast where we go over the events from the very, uh, that take place around the city, uh, specifically gaming related ones, as well as uh, kind of go back over the topics that we discussed at our various different coffee clubs. Um, I am Eric Brody, and today it's a little bit of a quiet room in here. I am joined only by Rebecca Easton. Yeah, I gotta. I'm, next time I see him, I'm just gonna slap them both. <laughs> well, I mean, for um, Michael, Michael and David, who are usually on the podcast with us, for Michael, I can understand why he's sick, though. I mean, because of immune systems and the I mean, work? also he went to a con and con oh, well, yeah. <laughs> oh well, he was at GDC. Yeah, yeah GDC so, was yeah. all last week. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's impossible to like, and I don't know if this is true in like, because I've been to like marketing conventions before. Okay. And I actually didn't get sick there, hmm. but I have never been to a gaming-related convention and not gotten sick. So I I don't know if that's a part of it. Maybe because they're cleaner. <laughs> Just, <laughs> I don't know. I have no idea. Roll back. I didn't say yeah. that. But no, I mean, yeah, it's, mm-hmm. uh, I think that, I think that getting the whatever flu from whatever convention you probably go to with, you just, you get that many people anywhere. Yeah. I mean, I've sick. never been sick after GDC. Okay. Never been sick after GDC. I might've been like, like hung over because like <laughs> the Friday is the last day. Everybody's super parties mm-hmm. and everybody either flies out on like Friday or Saturday, so I've been, I've been hung One over. Of my friends did it right, and he flew back in yesterday. Oh, and that was that was probably the right way to do it. But he, because uh, I flew out on a Friday once, and I kind of felt like I was still missing things. You mm. know, like because it was like an early afternoon flight. And mm-hmm. It's like oh, there's still some stuff. Like some friends I had made out there, they were doing some things, and mm-hmm. I didn't expect to have any plans, but then suddenly I did. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But anyway. Oh, but, yeah. Community recap time. Yeah, so GDC was last week. Um, I know that Sewell was out there. Do we know if anybody else was out there? I haven't really been on the Discord this week. Has... Um, there, was a couple, there were a couple of our members that made it out there, but the majority, not so much. I know nobody out of the Thursday Club made it out there. Okay. And I think Swole was the you know, Swole, Swole? <laughs> Swole Sewell. Yeah. Uh, Michael was the only one that made it out out of the Friday group. Uh, but I do know there might have been a few others out of just the Facebook group alone because okay, I saw sure. a couple people like pinging going hey anybody else going to be there so yeah, cool. I don't know. definitely a lot of Dallas devs though well I'm excited to hear and talk to people about it about how it was this year and um, if there was like maybe there know, was a, there is a to- topic actually that came out of that which we'll get to a little bit later because cool. uh, it is one of the ones we discussed during the coffee club on Friday Okay. Uh, we didn't have much else go on this month. Uh, a bunch of short guys, yeah, a bunch of sh- short guys did on Saturday go to a, a studio tour at Groove Studios. Uh, Groove Jones. Yeah, Groove Jones Studios. And this week, because that's it. That's besides. Yeah. That's that's most of it. Um, and this week we have. Uh, tomorrow, isn't it? Is it the twenty eighth tomorrow? It's the last. Tuesday of the oh, month. Oh, you're right. That is true. The last Tuesday of the month is our bar club. Yeah. And then uh, on the 28th is D-Stop yeah. Show and Play. Uh, that should be happening. Ooh, and we still have our community event going. 
as well name that podcast contest. We have several good names up on the form in in Google in our Google group uh, v, VG hashtag VGOCC. So if you're looking to vote, go vote. The winner of that will get fifty bucks. And we'll be allowed to come on. We'll be allowed. Well, you can't come on to this ever. No. They, uh, they'll get a chance to come on to the show and introduce the podcast, provided that they're local. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we might be able to Skype them in or something. Skype, so. maybe. I don't know. That's not my expertise. <laughs> so, okay. So, those are some of the events that have happened and some of the ones that will be happening. The other big one that is coming up. Um, uh, it's not this week, but next week is Dallas Startup Week. Um, oh, I yeah. keep forgetting that one. Yeah. The, and unlike previous years that this one is going to have it at multiple locations, I think most of the gaming track ones specifically is going to be either here. Uh, no. Near Frisco. Yeah, yeah near it's going to launch Launchpad and the other one at Node. Yeah. Um, we'll try and get the schedule up onto the Facebook group so everybody can check it out. Or if you prefer the Discord, I'll try and make sure to get it in there. Yeah, I haven't been able to look at the gaming track schedule too closely yet um i would imagine that like most of the gaming things are like like esports related things yes kind of business related things are going to be at launchpad and then um kind of the other gaming stuff is going to be a no i don't know how they're splitting that yeah from that way from what i hear uh it's mostly esports sure because esports in in dallas in particular is well this is the year of esports in dallas yep yep oh uh you should find this funny after you mentioned it, it was posted at least twice in the Discord that the Arlington Center is opening up for the eSports mm-hmm. ring. So it was posted several times in the Discord. So see, it wasn't just Eric <laughs> wanting to talk eSports. It was a big deal. It was national news. Well, a lot of our members are really into eSports. Uh, it, there's like three members at the in the Thursday group. I was going to say, yeah, where are they? They need to come on Friday. Once, once they... Um, once they start talking, I just kind of zone out for a little <laughs> bit. Because esports, is, competitive gaming has never been my, my thing. Never been my thing. Is there anything else? Was there I don't anything believe so. Else? I, think that's, I think that's it. Okay. Well, okay. We mentioned last time that Arlington, we did talk about this a little because not everybody at the new, but Arlington did win the right to have an esports stadium. So what, 1,000 seats in total? Yeah, I think that they're planning on most uh, most events hosting hundreds, but it could, um, at max capacity, be like around a, a thousand. I'm looking at my notes, and I need to start taking better notes because I have no idea what I'm meaning here. Mm-hmm. Bugs and release, loss of preservation in games. Ah, uh, for the Thursday group, we got into talking about re-releases, HD releases, loss of preservation of games, that those those things uh ultimately we said it was like silent hill what was it two when it was during during the hg what the developers came out and said was it, the reason why it took so long is they didn't have any of the original code or assets from the game when it first released and so they essentially had to rebuild the game from scratch and that's something that um they were talking about emulators and things like that uh, sometimes there's still bugs in the releases and things but a lot of times it's because They've had to, they've lost, developers have lost a whole bunch of the previous code, either because they switched engines or they just don't have a good way of backing that stuff up. Yeah, or like, um, I don't remember if it was that one or if there was another one, um, but there was one, 
was either a podcast or we'd stopped recording and we were talking about um, maybe it was that was what happened with one of the games in like the Silent Hill remake and then in another one what they had what they had happen was the last they only had the build that was like just before the final build mm-hmm. and then of course then yeah then it was 10 years later and nobody that had worked on it was around anymore or anything like that and so mm-hmm. it was a super buggy build and they just didn't have anything to work with as well so versioning and even in that case like then versioning is still a problem and, right right and I, I mean that you think uh, an industry that is built so heavily on text would have better ways of archiving their builds mm-hmm. You really would think. Uh, uh, there's been a couple talks. There's a guy that used to visit uh, D-Stop uh, meetings a lot, and he would talk about preserving game and trying to get developers to work with him to preserve their stuff. Uh, so it just kind of blows my mind that we don't have a good system in place. And I'm wondering, is that because of servers? Is it like, What is the real reasoning for not being able to preserve their stuff? Yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot that goes into that, and in that um, as we talk about older games, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we when games were on cartridges, we have issues like data rot and stuff like that. You know, um, we have uh, you know uh, some games that require like a battery for saving and stuff. Those batteries are eventually dying. And um, <laughs> as somebody who uh, I actually just this past weekend was like kind of reorganizing all of my old retro games and stuff and going back through my old hardware. Uh, I accidentally left the battery in some of my old controllers, and so now I get to like clean out and try to salvage mm. those controllers because the battery's corroded in there. And thinking about okay, I need to actually unscrew my DS and get that battery out before that battery starts corroding, destroys the whole system and stuff. And so like you have a lot of hardware elements, um, and then hardware, especially with retro games when they were cartridges. Um, of course, I think in the future we need to think about like disc uh, or or like just physical format issues as well of um, will we have something that can even read this compact disc, much less like the actual platform around to be able to do it? Mm-hmm. And luckily, I mean, privately, I think that we're having a lot of uh, companies that are handling that issue. I um, can't think of the, uh, like Retron, like with those um, uh, pieces of hardware and stuff. But yeah, I mean, it's, uh, I, and I think that a part of it as well is this is such a unique form of media uh, mm-hmm. that, uh, uses technology in a different way and is so reliant on technology in a way that like film and other things weren't as well. But this is absolutely a thing that film had to think about in yeah. the early days as well. Is um, they they were losing those reels and how and so it's it's even with those it was a race against time to try to get them dig- like a digital version of it. And we need to do the same. Except the bigger issue is technology continues to change and operating systems continue to change. And just because we get a playable digital version of a game. Um, it's not going to be playable forever in that mm-hmm. format. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the, the reliance on upon controls and the fact that you won't ever actually have the proper experience with the game. So mm-hmm. even if you do get it, like say, play an emulated version of Super Mario Brothers, you're not playing with the same controller. Are you really st- still playing the same game? So I mean, there's, mm-hmm. there's a lot of elements to that. Okay. I, I was about to mention the film thing because I think yeah. I came across one where there where they had found one of the oldest films in history, but all they had were, like, small parts of it because the rest of it had just faded away, crumbled away. So, um, okay. Uh, The other thing, and we didn't get to it on Friday because David was like, no, Eric really wants to talk about it. Well, I have you here now. Uh, It is the diversity in games. Mm -hmm. Uh, So we approached it in a different way or 
a little bit of an, in a different way on Thursday. Well, uh, specifically, I, this was started by the um, Firewatch developer. Yeah, 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 talking about hair types and how up to date, up till that point, uh, note there's like type four black hair. Mm -hmm. There's a type of hair that's never really been shown in video games. And he was like, I, once I saw it, I clearly knew what, what we were about. Right, so there, I, we were approaching it from a, a couple different ways, not from the consumer standpoint, uh, which is usually, they, they look at it different than the developer standpoint. And there is a difference between doing diversity for diversity's sake and actually trying to do it because it means something to them. Sure. So for me, as a writer who, who and I, I did a bunch of research, because a lot of times the reason why I don't put a lot of characters of color in any of my work is because I feel disingenuous. Right, like that, that feeling like, am I the right person to be talking about this? Uh, how much research, even if I do a ton of research on ethnic backgrounds and things like that, am I really doing it that's justice, doing the good justice? Um, then I tend to, if I do, div do diversity, I tend to rely on fantasy because I can make up whatever I want for background and not have to worry about history. Whereas you do something closer to reality like sci-fi or even modern fantasy, which is more closely related to um, to like the real world, that's you got to play around. You got to take into understanding like the ethnic backgrounds and such, and and you get afraid of people yelling appropriation, mm. cultural appropriation, even though those are the exact same people that are yelling for diversity as sure. well. Yeah. So that those are things that I struggled with, and I posed it to the group. I was like, how do you get over that sort of sort of thing? the feeling of disingenuous because a lot of writers and a lot of creators when the reasons why they don't is because they're told well if you don't know don't write it right write what right. you know right yeah because i mean the worst the the worst like what you don't want to do is um not only just simply being disingenuous and or or having that feeling of uh essentially just checking off the the box of like okay i have this many races in here i have this many representations of like sexual identity and stuff like that mm -hmm. um you want to actually have them be a realistic version of that character and if they're a good dynamic character actually not just simply be a good quote-unquote stereotypical version of that type of person but then um somebody who is self like like is their own person within that as well. Mm -hmm. And like maybe like challenges a lot of those things. But if you don't know what it is to be that and you don't have the time or the ability to study what it is to be that, um, yeah, it definitely makes a challenge. Um, there's actually a, uh, there's, there's a, there's a podcast. Um, I, I have no problem mentioning other podcasts Please. or anything. Yeah. Uh, there's, there's a podcast by the McElroy brothers who are very famous because of Polygon and they helped to found that and stuff, mm -hmm. but they have, um, a D and D podcast called The Adventure Zone, and they specifically do try to uh, have characters of various different races and identities and backgrounds and cultural backgrounds. But then they also talk about that very fact that still behind the veil, behind the microphone, there are three white guys from mm -hmm. West Virginia. Mm -hmm. um, and so I actually they have a few of these conversations on that, uh, like kind of when they are building characters for the new story arcs on specifically why they're attempting to do it and all of the things that they do to try to fight that mm -hmm. and yet still put a disclaimer on but what do we really really know mm -hmm. um yeah i'm trying to think of a good 
there, there really, cap to that. Yeah, there yeah. really isn't. No, no matter all the research that I did on it, um, because I was really struggling um, with um, a series that I was writing called R Nine, and I was, it was the first time. It was a science fiction for me. It was the first time that I was trying to add ethnicities in there. Jesus, characters of color in there for for the first time, and I was really struggling with it because I was adding the, my very first two black characters. And I had to ask myself a lot. It's like, how much, because it's in the future, how much of their past, or the past of, the, of their particular group, really mattered in the future into the overall story? And I was doing a whole bunch of research, and I came across things like, don't refer to black characters' skin as chocolate, because that's just creepy. And don't liken eye shape to, like, nuts, like almond. Yeah, uh, so that, that kind of stuff, because it's creepy and it's weird. And as writers, you should be able to, ref- like, do better descriptions um and i came across a whole bunch of things where white people have talked to people of color that they know and the people of color that they are always like well then just don't write it and it's like well i've just done all this research and you're asking me why i don't add representation and so the the, this was a lot of of the conversation was how you get over that and honestly there's no real good answer yeah and and i hate for people to not want to do something because they're scared of failing at it. Yeah. Um, I, I think that that's, but I understand why they would do that as well. Um, I feel that one of the, just as another example of somebody who does do it well, who mm-hmm. I think sometimes gets the uh, uh, kind of like, there's a debate on, whether or not they do it correctly or if they are just kind of checking off boxes mm-hmm. is um, I think Bioware does a decent job at this. Yeah. Um, and they especially did in um, Dragon Age and Dragon Age Inquisition especially mm-hmm. um, in that they, they, they represented a lot of different types of sexualities. And, and one of the cool things that like especially they did in their fantasy world and so you bring up fantasy and sci-fi and like mm-hmm. kind of how to some of the freedom that it gives you. Yeah. Um, but what I do think is cool about that as well is it also from your, whatever level of understanding you have of the particular, um, uh, what what it is to be um, mm-hmm. somebody like that, is you can um, still create parallels to right. modern races and like kind of what you perceive as and what you have researched as their uh, identity mm-hmm. through something else right. um, that is very much something that has nothing to do with our world. Um, so no, I, I read a, I have a book, and when people see it, they kind of give me the side eye on it. But I have a book called Nazi Doctors, mm-hmm. and it's a book specifically to talking about how they justified um, killing large amounts of people and things like that. And the reason why I have it was because I was writing a fantasy story. And I really wanted to like talk about something along those lines, that idea of perfection and whatnot. And the only ra- only thing in history that I knew was something similar to that were the Nazis. And so that's why I went and was doing a whole bunch of research on just World War II and this idea of perfection. Um, so that I agree. And that, that's one of the things that I, um, that I talk about to like any writer that comes up to me. There was one writer that came up and he showed me his story. And it was the most cliché bull I have ever seen in so long and I asked him uh, I was like do you even know anything about Mexico because all he had in there was cartel and 
underground fighting. And I was like, what about all that rich history? You know, Coco is a great, great example of the rich history that, that Mexico has. And I was like, what about all of that? And he's like, well, I don't really know any of it. I was like, yeah, because you're a skinny white 19-year-old kid that hasn't done his research and you need to do that. In other yeah, words, they're going to call you out. didn't do the research. Um, right. Because, like, I think that that's, again, like, as, um, I guess, a person of color, mm-hmm. as, as a mixed individual, mm-hmm. um, I... I'm mixed, too. Yeah. You're not alone. Yeah. Um, yeah, we find ourselves in, like, our own version of identity. And then, mm-hmm. like, I don't identify as anything. I mm-hmm. identify as me. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I, I don't want people to be scared to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, I just ask that they, they do the research that leads them, that, that, that is enough for what they're trying to accomplish, right? right? And so in that situation, if especially he's writing like a crime drama, it makes sense that a lot of like what he's going to be pulling from is stuff like Narcos and like, mm-hmm. and look at stuff like the cartel. And um, But it makes a better story, exactly as you said. All that it does is it just comes out very generic in mm-hmm. that like, because you don't have, as a writer and then as a story, any type of actual identity for the actual culture of the area. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like, the research isn't necessarily even just to appease the people who you're writing about. Mm-hmm. But really, I mean, just honestly to make a better story as well. Right. And I think that that's um, kind of what all of the, at all of this discussion really simply boils down to yeah. is, like... Do your research. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's just simply, it makes for better art altogether because then at that point when it's done right it's not even conversation about race Mm -hmm. it's just simply yes this is a good character who Mm -hmm. happens to be black and Mm -hmm. represents a black experience Mm -hmm. so from that topic we also segued into just representation Mm -hmm. in games in general um and we got into the whole talk about more about females uh, and how that is, and even down to the consumer level where we were talking about how, um, I think it was Nintendo that did this, was the one that set this kind of thing in motion. Well, when they were building the NES, the first console that they were sending out, uh, they had to make a decision on who they were going to market to, and they chose to market to boys. And ever since then, video games have always been related to boys, right? Even though we know nowadays that girls are if not almost half, almost half or even more than actual male, male players nowadays. Um, you, you look like you want to say something. No, just um, specifically uh, Nintendo marketed to boys because they made the decision after the video game crash and they were coming back. Mm-hmm. Um, they didn't sell the NES in electronic stores. They sold it in toy stores. Right. And especially toy stores, they are very gender specific a right. lot of times in their marketing. And so it wasn't even like Nintendo saying, oh, I think boys are going to buy this. It was specifically, well, this is how toy stores in America sell their products. Mm -hmm. They'll have the Barbies. They'll have the G.I. Joes. Let's put this video game system by the G.I. Joes. Mm -hmm. And, well, the other thing about it is, like, even after years in studies and research show the uh, the change in demographic, uh, one of the guys mentioned that media and sales data are still sort of messing with the representation because they're relying on old metrics Mm -hmm. and not looking at any of the new stuff that's come out. And that's kind of what I was trying to say there. I said media and sales data messing up representation in games. Girls not fully included in sales stuff. So that I understood what I was trying to say there. But it it just grilled down to... um, the diversity in games just being like we talked last time. What was it? A couple podcasts ago of the first Overwatch female player mm-hmm. included in the league and how she wasn't entirely static. That 
that what was it that uh, she was the only female? Um, oh, that was actually, what they're. Yeah, her name is Gregory uh, or Gregory. Um, mm-hmm. She's not a fan of kind of the storyline around her being mm-hmm. used that uh, that she's a representation for diversity in games. Mm-hmm. Um, she just just wants to be another player. She's not wanting to take that mantle, um, mm-hmm. whether or not. She has to reluctantly. I think it's important that she does, but you know, um, it's it's totally her prerogative to not. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, she she just wants to be another player, um, quote unquote, one of the guys, if you will, and mm-hmm. not even think about gender or anything. Just she just wants to be trusted for her skills and being able to get in. Yeah, I can relate to that. Mm-hmm. I, I can hard, really hardcore relate to that because, like, that was one of the things that I struggled with growing up too was that mentality that a lot of people were telling me, you're female, this is your entire thing, but I was, like, into a lot of guy stuff. I mean, I played soccer for so long, and that was, sports are normally considered more for the boys. And so just kind of growing up and trying to find a character that represented me in any sort of way was very difficult because I was always told throughout the media that the only my worth was only valued by, the, by who I hung on to. Right, whose arm I was attached to, which guy I was attached to. And that bothers me a lot. And like I couldn't get a guy unless I got all the latest makeup and such. So those sorts of things. And I mean, not to say that guys not also have their own things. Like, I mean, Axe commercial. Do you remember the Axe commercial with the guy that was spraying and like women were running across the beach to him? Sure. (laughs) Yeah. Specifically, always remember the double pits to chesty. So, I mean, you just, there's a lot of stuff in the media and you're looking for those representations, something that speaks out to you. And for me in particular, I'm I'm out and proud, but like for me in particular, it was always hard whenever I had to see a girl hanging on to a guy because I didn't identify with that sexuality at all. And so suddenly I'm told that I can only be important if I'm attached to a guy was not exactly selling for me so anyways those sorts of things were were what we were discussing on Thursday just representation how sells data and things like that and even the struggle with that with including diversity was hard it's hard there's no there's I don't think there's really a good answer other than do your research run it by some people like I tend to run any of the work that I'm doing by by friends of that ethnicity Mm -hmm. um it's like is this too cliche? Am I too right. racist in this one? And sometimes they'll be like, yeah, yeah, you, this cl- is clearly dictated by the media. Draw it back and treat that like a human. I was like, gotcha, I gotcha. Yeah, and, and I think that, yeah, that is a good way to look at kind of both those conversations is um, it's, uh, it, it, it's, it's, because it's the way that we look at one of these subjects, be it either women in games or diversity in games. Um, and it's something born from, or a fallacy, I should say, that's born from either lack of research um, or going off of what you believe the stats would say as opposed to what the stats actually say, mm-hmm. right? Um, you know, I mean, my favorite stat ever in games marketing research is that, like, I know I've mentioned it on this podcast and I will always mention it because somebody I'm talking to hasn't ever heard this stat <laughs> is that like the biggest group, uh, the biggest demographic for video game players in the world is women above 55. Yep. You know, like in, and so like when we talk about quote unquote, well, all games are just, you know, uh, you know, these call of duty shooters and stuff like that. And, um, f- 
for the you know 18 to 32 demographic it's like that's great that says certain that's probably one of the bigger demographics but it is not the biggest i don't even think it's the second biggest <laughs> mm-hmm. um and so yeah it's just simply do your research on the marketing side and then just advertising needs to change um and then just simply do your research on the you know like kind of cultural history side and mm-hmm. and what it really does in the long run is it just simply makes for a more diverse audience because then more and more people will see oh there are games for me and then that only helps the industry because then it's more money coming in and it means that there's more games being made mm-hmm. and different types of games being made mm-hmm. um and it, you know i know that one of the sides of it as well is that people get tired of having these conversations and i think in the long run if we make good characters that represent a large swath of people uh we won't have this conversation anymore because mm. it will just, the reason that we have the conversation either when there's a lack thereof is why is there a lack thereof? Is mm-hmm. it because the story didn't make sense to, if it wasn't a more homogenous, like for a specific race, um, you know, cast of characters? Mm-hmm. Or was it because they just didn't think to? Or worse, was it because they didn't think that a diverse cast of characters would sell, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so we have to bring that up then. But then eventually, you know, we should be able to get to the point that, yeah, they just chose these characters because it makes the most sense for them to be these characters. Right. Right. By the way, in case you're wondering what exactly are 51 year olds playing, it's those hidden object games, hidden, hidden object games, the little eye spies. Uh, so yeah that's a huge market <laughs> yeah it's hidden object games and uh candy crush yes saga. oh my god i forgot bubble witch okay literally i do not think that there is a day that goes by that my mom doesn't play bubble witch saga she's <laughs> played every single one of them do you remember farmville sure that's oh man farmville was, i think farmville was really the gateway for a lot of for a lot of the that particular demographic. Oh, absolutely. Like, me as a lifelong gamer, mm-hmm. quote-unquote gamer, God, I hate that word. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't play many multiplayer games. I've never really had this experience, the quote-unquote experience of, like, making friends online or something like that that you never knew but you met through a game. Mm-hmm. My mom has multiple friends from across <laughs> the country that she met through Farmville or something like that that she has kept up with, and it's a friendship that she's had for like almost a decade now. Nice. Oh so, my God, so it again, is that like, old. Jeez. Right. So like, again, like it's still the stereotypical, like this is what it is to be a gamer in like modern culture with multiplayer games. My mom is one of those people. <laughs> she doesn't identify as that. And one of those people who identifies as a gamer wouldn't identify her as that. Mm-hmm. She totally is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So. Well, that goes back to our conversations we've had for a while. Like what, what do you, what do you classify as a gamer? And I'd say anybody who plays Humans. a game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anybody. The moment you the moment you played a game yeah. and you play often enough, you are a gamer. Okay. So we'll go into Friday now. Uh, Friday, we did not get to the diversity talk. Okay. Uh, we got into, we went back to talking about esports, which I found uh, one of my favorite YouTube channels is a game theorist. Okay, sure. Uh, and he which the Game Theorist has multiple shows from yeah, different like people. Theory, yeah. yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. Sure. No, no, no. On, on, in the, on that YouTube within channel, the yeah, within the, within the channel, they have multiple ones. And there's this one guy who really does science, the science in games. Yeah. And he did one about your, game, your brain on games, which is really talking about why... Two, it was two things that we took away from this. Um, why, why games are good for you because they teach you skills. Mm-hmm. But also how different a um, someone like someone like on Dallas Fuel 
why their reflexes will be 10 times faster than a regular person's because of the response they have to have. Right. Uh, yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's as far as I got on that one. Okay, sure. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm interested to know that in that, uh, so say somebody, like some of the cross-training that mm -hmm. like, like pro esports players will do, um, you know, and it's no different from any other sport. You know, like a lot of uh, athletes, like like football players and basketball players, who kind of do sports that have more like kind of burst type of um, uh, that needs more burst type of speed. In the off season, they'll actually end up doing a lot of endurance training because then they need to uh, change. Like that's an important skill for your muscles to still learn and like stretch your muscles and stuff like that. So a lot of them use cycling as like a cross sport. And mm -hmm. stuff like that. So like cross training is like really common, especially in professional sports. Um, and so like in esports, there's a lot of quote unquote cross training. Well, not quote unquote, I don't know why I would do that. Just <laughs> there's a lot of cross training as well. And so like, um, one of uh, the Dallas people players, uh, effect, he's one of our DPS players. Um, he actually, I believe came from rhythm games. Um, and mm. like he's actually a streamer. Um, and uh, he's actually only been playing FPSs for a very short amount of time. Um, but if you look at the skills that it takes for a DPS-style player in Overwatch, all that it is, really, is it's just making sure that you are super accurate with where your mouse cursor goes. And so, like, for his training, what he'll actually do is warm-ups is, yeah, he'll play a little bit of Overwatch, but then he also plays a ton of Osu. Um, and so for people who don't know what Osu is, it's essentially a rhythm game. If you've ever played Elite Beat Agents on the DS, mm. it's totally just a free open where Elite Beat Agents where anybody can make their own maps, essentially. Mm -hmm. But yeah, he plays a ton of Osu and is one of the, like, the better ones in the world. Um, and that's what he uses for training for that. And so what I would be interested in, though, is uh, do they have better reflexes? I guess two questions. One, um, from that video, do they have better reflexes in real life as well. Um, and so it's not necessarily just in this one mechanical element mm -hmm. of like using a keyboard mm -hmm. and that type of reflex. Um, I guess, is it audiovisual and does it connect to other parts of their body physically? Mm -hmm. And then second, um, was his thesis that they have a certain, there's a certain reason why their reflexes are better and that's why they were able to be better at games and became a pro gamer? Or did they teach themselves this? From what I could understand, and this is, because I love looking at these kinds of things anyway, so I've been following that kind of stuff for a long time. But what, from what I gather from his particular thing is that it's more of a learned trait, okay. right? And if, even if you go back and you look, and let's talk about simulations in general, right? There are now groups that are using simulations or virtual simulations to up, like, let's say, surgeons. Right, to up their skills in surgery in that those sorts of, um, and there's been a whole bunch of research about how video games have increased skill in a, in a lot of ways. So I lost my train of thought. Wait, got it. Uh, so, so, there, so his thing was, one, it's a learned trait, and two, yeah, it does affect you in the outside world. Um, you can respond faster. That's why brain games are so popular nowadays is because you can think faster, respond faster. And it's not just tied to like, oh, I can click a mouse really fast. It's tied to overall, oh, I can respond very fast, fast now. And I mean, let's go back to last week's topic about the guy whose crazy girlfriend tried to chop him up with a samurai sword, right? One of the things he said was, thanks to me playing all of these games, I was able to respond fast to save myself, right? And that is, that's very true. Um, 
if you go and look at as many studies as I probably looked at on this, uh, they, they do talk about how skills only increase. They, they don't really decrease. And if they do, it's just because you're not teaching yourself or you're not, you're not maintaining it. And that's really why people who do competitive gaming, skills continue to stay on the upper level because it's something that they're just continuously doing over and over again. Sure. Yeah, and that makes a lot of sense. I mean, especially when we're talking like reflexes that are required at the pro level. Um, I still don't know if somebody who casually plays games would be able to have an understanding of martial arts to technically <laughs> protect themselves just simply just from playing games. But uh, but I would absolutely believe, and that was, I'm glad that you answered the way because I felt that was the way it was, and I, I almost kind of use it as a leading question. Mm-hmm. Um, in that, yeah, of, of course it would then just, because it, it, it teaches... It teaches a way on, like, how to just simply control your body right. in, in ways that, like, just anybody can. Yeah. 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 Um, and, you know, and it's also no accident that, like, actually, like, some pro pros in other sports and other fields, like you had mentioned, mm-hmm. surgeons, actually then use video games as, and even games that you wouldn't expect as, like, mm-hmm. kind of training methods as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Yeah. Uh, well, I also know that you can also use it to do people skills. Yeah. Isn't that funny? You can use it to do people skills. Who thought that all of the branching dialogue choices to get the lady in bed is a good way to like <laughs> really understand a conversation flow? But yeah, that's the, that's where I kind of took it from. It's just yeah. to close that topic off. Woo, to close that topic off, it one, if you train games can help you increase skills, better skills, and two reflexes just just are, are at the top if it's something that you're continuously doing and it's important. Yeah. So, uh, that's, that's the takeaway I took from that one. The next topic we got into, uh, here's the GDC one. And this one actually dominated most of the conversation on Friday. Uh, I, and I do wish Michael was here because I, I wanted to ask him about this. But one of the biggest topics that came out of GDC is unionizing the game industry. Now, I'm, I'm on the fence about this one. In some sense, the unions are like powerful things. They've they've stopped, you know, uh, taking advantage of certain certain groups and abuse, stopping abuse and things like that. The game industry, as most know, runs rampant with overtime and crunch time and and things like that. And so, the people who are doing wanting to unionize is for that purpose as well. But if you're saying the entire game industry. I don't know. I'm a little hesitant on that one. And most of the reason why is because what about indie devs, right? And also what kind of gateways, gates are there going to be in order to get into the union? Is it only offered to those that are in companies? Well, the companies have to pay the union a certain amount, right? So if you're coming from a big studio, like let's say Gearbox, they might be able to afford it, but smaller and indie studios or just startups, they're not, they might not necessarily be able to. And then if you're talking about, well, indies have to ha- do certain things in order to get in. Like, my sister's an actress. And one of the things she's been trying to do for the last four years is get into SAG. Yeah. And for her, she has to get three slips and then pay, like, I don't know, I think 2000 in order to get in. Maybe more than that. Yeah, the thing is, she's been doing this for almost four years. And in the four years, she's only ever been able to get two slips. That third slip, she's not been able to get. And the whole reason why is because she has to go find the one job that is passing out those slips. Most of the time, because she's doing background acting, she doesn't get those opportunities. 
or she'll ask and they'll say, oh yeah, you're going to get a slip after this. But after the whole work is done, she'll go and get asked, hey, can I get my slip now? And they'll be like, oh yeah, we decided not to. Right. Yeah. And so is that, I, and, and so I worry for indie devs in particular, if the union will be more, will hurt them more than, uh, than help. Right. right. So I don't, I don't know. It's not, I'm not a personal fan about the union. I think it just takes better management. Really. I think it takes a huge push on some places. And we already know that there are some studios that are taking a stance against that whole gamer cult, uh, game development culture of crunch time and just saying, if we plan longer and have an understanding of what our talent can actually do in the amount of time that we give, right, we won't have the problems that the union, that this union, it's called game, Gamers Work, I want to say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Game Workers Unite is what it's called. Um, then we wouldn't really have to have it. So I'm not a huge fan of the idea of the union. I'm not a huge fan, personally. What do you think? Um, yeah, I mean, I think that from... I was interested to hear, and so, I, I mean, just by the name mm-hmm. of it, I think it's kind of obvious. I was interested to know if this was uh, largely stemming from voice actors um, mm. wanting to, because they're not allowed to be part of SAG <laughs> themselves. Mm. Uh, or at least I don't believe they are, and then the games industry doesn't necessarily recognize SAG, or, or they specifically then get uh, voice actors who aren't part of SAG for that very reason. And, and I mean, really, especially in that scenario, those are people who, out the union, those who are SAG-accredited uh, or have their SAG card, they are so much more protected because mm-hmm. um, of what, you know, and this happens in anime as well, um, is, like, because of the types of roles that they have to do and the lines that they have to give, um, they do put themselves in physical harm, um, and they will destroy their throats and their vocal cords for a lot of these things. Mm-hmm. Um, and if they don't do it, they don't get the job, and then they'll just get replaced because, of course, so many people want to do voice acting for games. Um, and so there is... And, and, and then as we spread it out beyond just that, you know, yeah, when we look at the amount of hours that certain companies expect of people and for that to just be expected that that is the culture and, that, you know, like, I don't know. Um, I think that, like you said, when, I, I think that to fix it, there are many other conversations that have to happen. Um, mm-hmm. you, there have to be, you know, just simply, like you said, on the management side, um, they have to be able to work with the team leads and make sure that they're not um, overloading everybody and that these are actual, like, realistic goals that people are setting to be able to try to, try to get out at certain times. It has to go then up to the publisher side and, like, to, like, the marketing team on the publisher side and the execs of the publisher to essentially determine, yeah, these are, um, this is when this game can realistically come out. Let's build something around that as opposed to, but then the lack of money, like lack of revenue in a particular year, they need to get it out a certain year or something like that. Then of course, then all of that then trickles down mm-hmm. into then crunch time. And so like, and I think that a lot of that has to do with budgets getting out of control on the AAA side and the amount and, and the, the steep hill that it is to climb to actually make profit on a lot of these games because of the marketing budget and the development mm-hmm. budget. You know, so I, I think that there is something to it. I think that there, that this is a way to at least start a conversation, whether or not I think that the industry will unionize, I don't know. 
Um, and really even how I feel on it, I, I, I don't know if I even have an opinion on it right now. Um, mm-hmm. I think that it itself does not solve the problem. And I think that on, but on the other end, it hopefully is a way to get these other conversations to start, um, mm-hmm. to actually have an intelligent, take a step back and have everybody have an intelligent, like look intelligently at what our industry is right now. Um, and essentially how to fix a lot of these problems Mm -hmm. of game prices possibly being too low, um, changing the consumer mentality that like the value per hour of like how you value your uh, price of entry for games, um, looking at the storefronts and um, getting them to do more limited sales and stop teaching your consumer base to wait for sales to be able to play games. And, And not just sales, but huge slashed markdown closeout sales you know mm-hmm. um you know the 75 percent off type stuff like there's a lot of things that i think that we can do on the industry side as a whole that will actually solve a lot of the problems on the developer side mm-hmm. but, I don't know. well you you pointed out one more thing of like the publishers and working with them and whatnot and that was the other thing that i was worried about just with the idea of unionizing is because you have to maintain a certain level uh, and every, if you say, look, okay, UPS, I worked at UPS for four years. And one of the things is no matter what, I, I never joined the union, but they had a union. No matter what, the the union offered you a per- certain amount of protection. And one thing that I found is if you weren't a part of the union and you didn't show up for a certain number of days, they would just let you go. But if you were a part of the union, they thought it was very difficult for you to be let go. Right? And that's sort of what I took out of that as well is like this would mean – your, yeah, your rights are protected, but it also makes it very hard for the game industry to maintain a certain thing. So let's take um, let's take the fact that every time you're getting ready to make a game and you're working with a publisher, you have to essentially get the publishers, as far as I understand, publishers to agree on that, or any of your investors to agree to put money into your project. And if they don't like where your project's going, that that money. So now you have. So now you have to look at it. Well, in order to maintain the studio, I have to continue some, like, this amount of money. And if it's easier if I just let a bunch of people go, then that's going to happen. Otherwise, my company is just going to go under. Right? And that's why we also see such a huge turnaround for some, for some companies. They'll bring in a whole bunch of developers. They'll do the game. And then they just don't have enough afterwards to maintain that level of staff and have to let them go. Right? right? That's, not, that's not a justification for them. Let me put that there. Versus not a justification for huge t- turnover rates. I'm just saying that that's something that happens. And you're also seeing companies going, and this could also happen with union as well. Companies going, well, instead, I'm not going to hire people on. I'm just going to tr- contract out my labor. Yep. Right? And then will those contractors be protected by the union? Well, that, those are my, my huge questions on, on this whole thing. Yeah. And I know that they are. It was like the article, the article was on Poly? Polygon. It was on Polygon. And I know in that they were talking, it was two ladies that are, that are kind of the driving force behind that. So kudos to them. But um, they said that they were talking to some of the older established unions out there to see how it, how it would work out. But those are, are my things. Like, like you said, the money issue is a huge thing. Uh, maintaining, being able to maintain all of that is another huge thing. And I don't think those questions are really being asked 
it didn't sound, at least from the articles that I read, because I, I read a couple of them, at least from the articles that I read, it wasn't really talking at those. It was just talking about how do we stop overwork in the grind and things like that. And I agree, kudos, there's better ways. But I don't think the union is the way to go. Personally, for me, I just, I don't think it is. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, really, and it's, it's not even really that games are the only industry that, like for a lot of these professions that you that mm -hmm. that happens as well. I mean, that's that's very common with um, you know a lot of uh, for a lot of modelers like three D artists and stuff like that. Um, there's a lot of uh, essentially companies out there that are contract houses, you know. Um, mm -hmm. And so like, and and even that union, if it's just games related, that's not going to protect that entire profession. You know, it's only going to protect people who are just in games. And so like again, I think it's. I think that it's a step in the right direction to at least have these conversations. Mm -hmm. I, I'm sure that we're going about it the right way. Mm -hmm. um, people who are calling to unionize, I should say. Um, but uh, I, I don't know if it's a, a solve in its own way. Mm -hmm. yeah. mm -hmm. so. Mm -hmm. Well, so that, those were all the topics that we cleared both Thursday and Friday. Um, do you have anything you want to talk about? Something that we didn't get to? Uh, no. Okay. Well, then that, <laughs> that concludes the recap. Uh, so, again, we want to make sure that we do a huge shout-out to Nirvana. They allow us to have this space entirely for free. Um, so, if you have time and you come to our coffee clubs regularly, please drop them a Yelp review or a like review or something that just says how awesome they are. And if you're looking for a place to record your podcast or even do some streaming, Nirvana does have setups for that. So come over, check it out. It is usually free. I don't think they've charged anyone yet. Not yet, at least. Yeah, yeah so it is free. So come on out. Oh, uh, also thank you to our sponsor <laughs> this year. For this month is Something Simple Services. They're also sponsoring the contest. So thank you to them. Um, and who else are we? Am I missing anybody else? Um, how much longer do people have on voting for the Oh, things? thank you. You have until the end of this week. Okay. Cool. The end of this week. Um, there's a reason why we dragged it out so long. Sure. So if you're <laughs> listening to this, that would be what is Friday? Friday's date. Yeah, that's going to be... 29th? Easy. Uh, 20, that's going to be the 30th. Oh, so hey. Until March 30th. Uh, essentially, end of the month. <laughs> yeah. The last week of the March. Yeah, we did it on purpose. <laughs> sure. It was, yeah. it was a yeah, lot of, yeah, well, it was a lot of taking time because we do have to pay. So we were working on getting the sponsor. And once the sponsor was like, yeah, we're totally on board. There we go. Yeah. So it gave us just a little bit longer just to. Yeah. 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 So that. That's it. So thank you to Something Simple Services. Thank you to Nirvana. I'm Rebecca. You can follow me at My Dyslexic World. Dyslexic, dyslexic is spelled wrong. It's D-E-S. And I'm Eric Brody. You can hit me up at Eric Brody. Mm -hmm. um, thank you so much for listening. And we hope to see you at one of the coffee clubs. Of course, as the reminder, uh, we have the Thursday Club at... City Line Whole Foods, which is off Runner Road. Okay, yeah, like right there at uh, George Bush and yeah. 75. Mm -hmm. And that starts at 8 o'clock. 
And then, of course, here at Nerdvana in Frisco on mm-hmm. Fridays at 8 o'clock as well. Mm-hmm. Oh, and don't forget this Tuesday if this podcast even makes it out on time. But we are having our beer club, and beer club is going to be the last Tuesday of every month. And I set that up in the meetup group so that that's an automatically recurring thing. Uh, so, yeah. Hope to see you guys at one of our events, or even if you want to come and stare at us through the windows for our, mm-hmm. for our podcast recording, you're more than welcome to. All right. Have a great week. Bye-bye.